it is officially fall. I know it started on September 22nd, but for me, there's two things that happen every year to signify it's, it's fall. Number one is the leaves change colors. I mean, they just become this brilliant yellow here in Colorado. We see um, the oranges and the yellows. I love seeing maple trees change. That's one of the signs. But the, the second thing, this is really, to me, the bigger thing that tells me, okay, we've changed seasons is we turn the heat on. How many of you turn the heat on this week? You know, in fact, yesterday morning, we turned the heater on in the morning. In the afternoon, we turned the air conditioner on. That's Colorado, right? But the other day when we kicked on the heat for the first time, you know that smell you get from the first burn? It's like the dust is all burning out, you know. That little pilot light in there has been burning all summer long. It's like, the, it's, like it's been rubbing its hands saying, come on, bring some gas, bring some fuel. I'm ready to go. And so when we turn that switch over and turn the heat on and it kicks on, I mean, there's, there's an explosion down there in the, in the furnace and fire going and heat goes through the house and it's, it's incredible. You know, I think in our lives, we sort of have a little pilot light. If you're a believer, God puts his Holy Spirit in us. And the Holy Spirit's likened to a flame. The day of Pentecost, Holy Spirit came in tongues of fire. And that Spirit dwells within us. But for some of us, it's just a pilot light. It's just a little light there that's, that's warm. And that's all the heat in our lives. It's all the light in our lives. And we become very lukewarm in our faith because of it. God wants us to fan into flame, put, put fuel in the fire. That's why in the New Testament it says, if you're a believer, add to your faith. It says to continue to walk in him. Just as you're rooted in Christ, continue to grow. It tells us to fan into flame what God has put in us. And we do that through uh, what's called spiritual disciplines, things that we do that kind of provides fuel that God that can magnify in our lives. And some of those we've looked at over the past few weeks, like pivotal decisions, those decisions of surrender where we say, I'm going to step out in faith on this. I'm going to trust God in this thing. I'm going to let go of this sin in my life and believe that God has better plans for me. I'm going to surrender my life to Jesus. Pivotal decision, because from that moment on, your life goes down a different track. Uh, Pastor Matt talked about worship and the priority of worship in our lives and how getting Jesus and being devoted to him gives us discernment, especially in the culture we live in, how to look at things, how to look at life. Last week, we talked about private devotions and how uh, we need to carve out time in our daily schedule to be in the Word. And I shared with you a study that, that showed... That, that if you were in the Bible one or two times a week, it didn't make much impact, but it was on, four, on day number four, fourth time in the Word in a week where your growth just kind of skyrocketed. And so we challenged you last week to, to leave church and start um, using this journal so that when you read the Scriptures, you'll ask some simple questions. God, what are you saying? What are you saying to me? And what do you want me to do? Because I really believe that God is trying to speak to us, and His Word becomes a guide for us to learn to discern His voice. So that even when the Holy Spirit starts to prompt us, we go, you know, that lines up with Scripture. God is speaking to me. And I know a number of you ventured off to try to do that this week. And I just want to encourage you. Bravo for doing it. It's going to be hard. It takes work. Um, getting in the Scriptures takes effort. But the more you stay with it, it's like you're gonna, your, your knowledge is going to begin to build on one another. It's like any subject. You start here, and it's very confusing and overwhelming. But the more you stay with it, the more you start to get a, a grip on it. And the same will be true in the Bible. God desires to speak to you. And, and you just need to carve out that time to be in his word. If you weren't here last week, I encourage you, grab a journal before you leave here today. They're at the Welcome Center in the lobby. And then, um, and then go online and listen to the message from last, from last week. This day, today, we're going to talk about passionate prayer. You know, prayer is one of those disciplines that really is, it, it permeates every culture. It even permeates cultures that aren't Christian. Like, people that aren't Christian will, will say, I'm praying for you. People of other faiths will, will say, like, we're praying and it's just like, it's something that everyone is accepting, and very few people are offended by prayer. But the bigger question isn't, do people pray? 
The bigger issue is, is there someone on the other side listening? Because there are a lot of people who pray and cast their prayers out, but there's nobody there to hear their prayers and nobody that has the power to do what they're asking them. But we know in Scripture when God calls us to pray that He is listening and God is ready to unleash resources from heaven to us in response to our prayers. That's why prayer is so significant for a believer. That's why we can never underestimate the power of prayer. God wants us to pray and He wants us to pray passionately. It's an essential part of our lives. And to me, it helps keep that flame hot because we live in a time where it's very easy to become lukewarm in your faith. And this is not a time to be lukewarm. This is a time to really tune into God, to zero in on God, to to be devoted in prayer and let God work in your life. Things are going to get harder on believers, believe it or not. It's going to get harder. And your relationship with the Lord will be cultured through your prayer life with Him. Now, I find that oftentimes, even like today, you'll get excited about prayer and then your excitement will wane. It happens to me. It happens to all of us. Back in January, I preached a sermon on prayer and then I encouraged people to come to the prayer night, the family prayer night, the following Wednesday. We had 130 people show up and we had a dynamic prayer service that night. A couple weeks ago, I had another prayer service. Same kind of prayer service. Guess how many people showed up? 30. Because people are saying, oh, you know, I'm not as fiery about, fired up about prayer anymore. And the same will happen in your life. It happens to me that I find myself drifting in prayer. So I've got a whole library shelf of books on prayer that draws me back in, that reminds me how critical this is. And one of those books is a little one by a guy named Oswald Chambers. It's called A Holy Occupation. And it's so good, especially the introduction, I have to read part of it to you. He says, the job of every Christian is to pray, plain and simple. Yet we want to do more than simply pray. We want to do something important for God. We want to be someone important to Him. We want to build. We want to mobilize. We want to show our strength and exert our influence. Prayer seems like such a small thing to do, next to nothing at all, in fact. Ever feel that way? Like, eh, do my prayers even make a difference? But that's not what Jesus said. To him, prayer is everything. It's a duty as well as a privilege, a right as well as a responsibility. We, can, we use prayer as a last resort. Jesus wants it to be our first line of defense. We pray when there's nothing else we can do. Jesus wants us to pray before we do anything at all. He wants us to pray always and about everything. During times of joy as well as sorrow, he wants us to talk to him, not about him. He wants us to talk to him about unbelievers before we talk to unbelievers about him. Prayer is our business, our only business. Prayer is our holy occupation, plain and simple. Our holy occupation. You know what it says? Prayer is our job. Prayer is work. It it literally is work. It's, It's hard to be devoted to prayer. And part of the reason is because our own nature fights against it. I can do it on my own, God. I Thank you. I can take care of this. When I get in a crisis, I'll call on you, but right now I can handle this. We're very um, self-reliant. We're also very proud. It takes humility to pray. It takes humility to come before the Lord and say, I can't do this without you. And that goes against our culture. Like, I want to show I can do it. God says, why don't you show that I can do it through you? There's another force at work, though, and that's the devil. The devil wants to distract you and discourage you when it comes to prayer. There was a man years ago named William Cowper who wrote a great poem of encouragement to get believers to pray. And there's a line in, in, that, in that poem that I really love. He says, And Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. Because it is a language that Satan cannot interrupt or understand. The language of prayer. And God loves to hear our voices. You know, I've been reading through the book of Revelation. That's part of our Bible reading plan. If you're following, you've noticed there's been it three times already in the book of Revelation Believers are going through horrendous situations, and yet we read over and over again the prayers of the saints and what they mean to God. 
The prayers of the saints. The prayers are getting them through those difficult times. Prayer will get you through difficult times. It'll help you to stand when everything else is blowing against you. In fact, here's what I believe is essential for our faith. That standing strong in the faith begins on our knees. If you want to stand strong, get on your knees in prayer. God will do more through your prayer possibly than anything else you'll do, especially passionate, focused, bold prayer. There was a man in a church that I served at years ago, and I loved this guy. He was so happy. He was a greeter at the door. He'd shake your hand and, and smile and welcome you. And one day he was telling me about his prayer life, and I said, Roy, I said, what do you pray for? He goes, oh, I, I just say thanks to God. I'm, my prayers are always thanksgiving prayers. I never ask God for anything. And maybe you feel that way, that, that you're imposing on God when you ask for something, that somehow it might offend God, especially if you ask for something big and bold. I think you offend God when you don't. You offend God when you don't ask for big, bold things. You know, if, if I was sending someone out into the field and said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work here at the, at the base with all the resources, all the weaponry, all the communication tools, all the major resources right here, but you're going to be in the field and I'm going to give you a walkie-talkie that as you're out there, you tell me what you need. And if you never pick up that walkie-talkie and talk to me and tell me what you need and you fail on your mission, you failed. I expect you to pick it up and call. I expect you to say, hey, we need this. We need resources. We need reinforcements. Uh, We need supplies. Why would we think that God would be offended when we say, God, in order to do your kingdom work, I'm going to need more money. I'm going to need more help. I'm going to need more laborers. I'm going to need more wisdom. Why would that offend God? God says, I've got a bunch of that right here for you, just waiting for you to ask. God wants us to come before him asking big and bold prayers so that we can do his work on this earth. There's a study done of Christians in their prayer life. You know what the biggest thing Christians pray for? Number one prayer habit. Thank you, God, for this meal. Amen. You know what? That's a good prayer. And it's a pretty, pretty, tame, pretty tame prayer. It's not going to change the world. Saying thank you for this food is not going to change the world. Saying, now I lay me down to sleep is not going to change the world. You know what's going to bring the kingdom in is believers pleading with God to do what only God can do, to remove the darkness and bring the light. And we've got to amp up our prayer life. We've got to get more serious about this invitation we have to connect with him through prayer. And I want to give you two words of encouragement, two simple things to remember that I think can make a huge difference in your prayer life. Number one, make prayer frequent. Make it frequent. Pray more than you've ever prayed before. Do you know what the shortest verse in the Bible is? Two words. Jesus wept. You know what the second shortest verse is? Pray without ceasing. First Thessalonians 5, 17. Pray without ceasing. Now, what does that mean? Pray without ceasing. How, how can I pray without ceasing? I've got a job to do. Honey, I can't talk right now. I'm praying to the Lord. Sorry, kids. Daddy's praying. I can't talk to you right now. Pastor told me I need to pray without ceasing. Sorry, boss. Can't answer the phone. I'm talking to the Lord right now. Obviously, that's not what he means. He doesn't mean constant chatter. It's not constant chatter. You know, I I think I can can picture this when I think of how I speak with my wife. You know, we have two kinds of, of talks. The first one is a more formal, serious talk. It's 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 one that's introduced by we need to talk. We need to talk. You ever have those moments? And you turn off the TV, okay, so it's, it's an important game, but I'll turn it off, okay? <laughs> turn it off, put the cell phone face down, maybe if kids are in the house, you go to the bedroom, 
and there's eye-to-eye contact. I mean, no distractions. We are here to talk. And it might be because of, of something happened with the kids. It might be some bad news. It might be something that happened at work. It might be a financial situation. It may be a discovery of, of some sinful thing that's happened. Maybe something you've done to your spouse and says, you know, this is, I've had enough. We need to talk. So, you know, those are the formal times. But I would say, for, from Julie and I, those are, those are the infrequent conversations. The more common are the day-to-day, just being in the presence of one another, where you can actually, at any moment, enter into conversation. So if we're in the house, uh, and, and we could be in different rooms, you walk over the room and say, hey, can I, can I run an idea by you? Hey, I've been thinking about this. Hey, we've talked about going on vacation. What do you think about this? And, you know, it's these spontaneous moments where you just talk about whatever's on your mind and heart. And that's the majority of our conversations. This summer, we went on a vacation. We drove to California, went up the coast to Oregon, um, came back down 3,000 miles to Colorado, and had a lot of car time. And it really was good for us because it just put us in one another's presence. Did we talk nonstop? No. Would have drove each other crazy had we done it. But we, but we had a lot of conversations. And at any moment, we could just start a new conversation, we, something we've been thinking about, a new topic. We could bring it up. I think that's the way it is with the Lord. When you're in his presence all through the day, if you kind of stay in the Lord's presence, Lord, I'm struggling with this issue right now. God, that, that driver there really bothers me. Um, God, I'm going to lose my patience with my son right now. I need you. I mean, just you just slide into it. You don't have to go, I'm going to pray about that tonight during my prayer time. No, no, no. I'm just, God's right here. He's listening. Do it right now. So you have those structured times and those spontaneous times. And I think they, they both are necessary. We need some structure to our prayer life. That becomes sort of the foundation. But within that foundation, it makes all this other spontaneous prayer time happen. You know, in the Jewish culture, it was common that they would pray three times a day. That's how they'd pray without ceasing. We're going we're to mark, make sure we pray in the morning, pray in the afternoon, pray later. So here we see Daniel. Daniel's brought into Babylon along with these young recruits to be trained as Babylonian leaders. And Daniel is exceptional, and the people see that, and they want to find some way to bring him down. See, Daniel has a prayer habit that they don't like. And so they make a rule, and they suggest that for 30 days... The only person you can pray to is King Nebuchadnezzar, but if you pray to any other person or any god, then you'll be thrown into the lion's den. So when Daniel heard that and saw it written in law, here's here's what happened. It says, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in the upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. That was his habit. That was his spiritual discipline. I am going to pray frequently. We, we find in Jesus' own ministry, Jesus was Jewish. He, he, he learned that growing up as well. But, but prayer became just a part of his, his regular day, morning, afternoon, evening. For example, in the morning. He prayed in the morning. It says, and rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, He, speaking of Jesus, departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Jesus got up before everybody else. Why did he do that? Well, number one, I think because if I I pray right here and then Peter wakes up, he'll want to talk. I want to talk to Peter right now, so I need to get away from the distractions. But I think there's a bigger reason. So he wouldn't distract others. See, Jesus is going to get away, and he wants to really get into his prayer, and if he stays right here, he's going to wake everybody up. So he's got to get away to this desolate place early in the day so he can pray. You know, 
There's a lot of things you can pray about early in the morning. But, but when you know what's coming before your day, you definitely want to have the Lord's favor on you. And as Jesus is going out to pray, um, I know that disciples probably overheard him at times because later on they're going to ask him, tell us kind of the secrets to your prayer life. You know, we've, we've seen you pray, we've heard you pray, but tell us how you do it. And Jesus, when he went off to pray, if he was a typical Jew, prayed out loud. Most of the words in the Old Testament, particularly the Psalms that talk about prayer, are verbally expressive words. I called on the name of the Lord. I cried out. I lifted my voice. He didn't just send vibes to God, okay? It's actually an engagement with your voice, a voice that God loves and that he gave to you. The Talmud, which is a a collection of rabbinical writings that kind of took the Old Testament law, the rabbis would interpret and apply to everyday life. And so this Talmud became very sacred to Jews, kind of became their discipleship journal. Not, not saying it's equal to Scripture, but here's how they interpreted Old Testament Scripture regarding prayer. They said, prayer should not be in our heads, but in our lips and voice. Prayer should be loud enough to be heard, but not so loud as to disturb others. Because they said, sometimes prayer can be too loud that you, that you don't believe God actually hears you unless you shout. So here it is, prayer, prayer that can be heard, but not too loud to disturb others. So Jesus goes off and he's praying. What did he pray about? I think, especially based on my own experience, it's a great time to start your, your day in prayer because you can preempt your problems. You can preempt your problem. You can get ahead of them before they happen. Not that God doesn't want us to come before him later with the problems, but what if we got ahead of the things so they wouldn't become a problem? And when you start praying, as Corrie Ten Boom, Corrie Ten Boom was a Jewish woman who survived the Holocaust, and she says prayer can either be your steering wheel or your spare tire. Either it's going to help drive your life or you're going to wait until you crash and then rely on it. And get on the front end. Get on the front. Let it help drive your, your day. So here's some things that I pray about, and I think maybe Jesus asked for wisdom. Have you ever encountered things as a business leader, as a student, as a parent, as a pastor? as a soldier, whatever your line of work is, as just a believer and say, God, I need your wisdom. I don't know what to do with this. I've got all this information or these situations. I do not know what to do. Ever been there? Yes, you know what the Bible says about that? If anyone lacks wisdom, this is James chapter one. If anyone lacks wisdom, guess what they should do? Ask him and he will give it liberally if you believe. Solomon did that. God says, Solomon, what do you need to be king? And he said, you know, it's not the money. It's not the fame and notoriety. I really need wisdom. And God said, okay, because you've asked for wisdom, I'm actually going to give these other things as well. Because we need wisdom, and God is willing to give wisdom to us. And it's not just for pastors or regarding Christian things. It's about life. There are many musicians who said, I've prayed, and God gave me a tune, or God gave me lyrics for a song, or God gave me a poem or story to write. I mean, God can infiltrate our minds. If you're a doctor, if you're an architect, if you're a business owner, God can work in that and give you divine wisdom. George Washington Carver prayed that God would open his eyes to the secrets of the universe, and God led him to the peanut. And he began to investigate the peanut and the properties of the peanut, and out of that came dozens of creations, including peanut butter, cosmetics, paint, and the dye used in Crayola crayons. And, and here's what he said about his inventions. The Lord has guided me. Wisdom. How about, how about strength? Jesus said, apart from me, you can do 
Nothing, nothing of spiritual value, nothing apart from me. You better rely on me because it's going to get hard. It's going to be tiring. You know, uh, Sundays, typically Sunday afternoon when I go home, I'm pretty tired uh, physically, but it may be more so emotionally. Just all the interactions, I'm just really tired. So I love this time of year where I can watch a football game. It doesn't take a whole lot out of me to do that. But, you know, I go home tired. And, and I've heard pastors say that delivering a sermon is like delivering a baby. You know, there's conception early in the week. There's the gestation period through the week. And then Sunday comes and it's delivery. And, uh, and you know, people will look at... Uh, a mother with her newborn baby that was just born, and everyone says, oh, how cute, it's adorable, even if it isn't. <laughs> so cute, never seen a baby so cute. Yes, I have, but I want, I'm not telling her that. And people say to the pastor after he delivers his sermon, nice sermon, pastor, wasn't his best, but, you know. You know, that's the courteous, respectful thing to say. But what happens to the pastor that doesn't happen to the mother is, Monday, I wake up and I'm pregnant again. Another sermon has to come. But, but, you know, last Monday, because prayer is such a common topic, I said, Lord, it's so, you know, I preached on prayer probably 20 times over the years, maybe 30 times. I, a lot of sermons on prayer. Do you want me to take an old sermon and kind of resurrect it and pump some more life into it? And God said, no. I said, what do you want me to say on prayer? And I struggled. And I went to bed Monday night saying, I have no clue where I'm going this weekend with prayer. And then I have a dream. And I have a dream. I'm working on the sermon and some thoughts are coming into my head and I'm going, Oh, that, yeah, that could work. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that's good. And then I wake up. It was like God says, you better go write it down or you're going to forget it. So I, I went out to the kitchen, opened my laptop, started writing, looked at the clock. It's 3.30. So for the next two hours, I'm writing down all these thoughts. I believe God answered my prayer. Amen. Because I was seeking wisdom. I was seeking strength. Yes, I was tired, but God, God promises um, that if we hope in the Lord, he will renew your strength. So God can do that. You need strength. Maybe what you're facing today is overwhelming. God, I need your strength today. I need your favor. There's another one. God, bless this. Bless what I'm about to do. I ask your favor upon it. Is it wrong to ask God to bless our business? Is it wrong to ask God to bless my um, application? Is it wrong to ask God to bless my finances? You know, it, it only becomes wrong when it becomes selfish. God, make me famous for my sake. Make me rich so I can be selfish God, God, put me in places of influence and power um, for me. God says, no, I'm not into that. But you know what? When you humble yourself and you seek God's favor, sometimes he does those very things for you for his kingdom's sake. He does bless you financially. He does put you in positions of power and influence. He does make you well-known so you have a greater voice. But it's all for his glory, which really is the, the, the other thing that I think is so critical when you pray in the morning. God, may, may I live for your glory. Christ be magnified in me. Let people see Jesus in me today. Jesus said, I have not come to do my will, but the one, the will of the Father who sent me. John 17, Jesus says, I have, I have come to glorify you. Now glorify me. See, God wants us to live for his glory, and that's a good place to start your day. Start your day. Pray in the morning to preempt prayers, but pray in the afternoon. Jesus prayed in the afternoon. It says, and after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on a mountain by himself to pray. Now, this is a little bit different. This is not the start of the day. This is after a day of ministry. Why would Jesus go away to pray? And what did he pray for? Now, I have a feeling it was a different kind of prayer. I have a feeling, just based on life, 
what you go through through the day, by the end of the day, sometimes we are just up to here with stuff. You know, people you've run into, problems you've encountered, difficult challenges. And by the time you get to the end of the day, you go, Lord, I am just tired. And rather than take it home for Jesus, his home was the gathering of his disciples, probably the camp where they gathered. He said, hey, before I go back home, I need to go have a chat with my father because I've accumulated all this stuff, these burdens. I mean, I think through a typical day for me, I'll get texts, phone calls, and emails from people saying, would you pray for me? I've got a job interview. Will you pray for my son? He's got COVID. Will you, would you pray for my uncle? He's dying of cancer. Would you pray for me? I just lost my dog of 14 years. Would you pray for me? You know, all these situations going on, and so I'm gathering this whole list of stuff. Can I fix it? No. God doesn't want me to fix it, but God wants me to cast my cares upon him. So I kind of accumulate all these things, and I take them to the Lord in prayer. Uh, it's called intercession. It's intercession. So when you go before the Lord to bring the needs of someone else, could be for healing, could be for restoration, could be for provision, could be for salvation. In the Old Testament, the prophet Samuel said a very convicting thing. He said, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. You know, I think we underestimate the power of intercession. And some of you, when you're looking for a place to minister, we have prayer needs that come in every week from Sunday morning, from online, from Celebrate Recovery. And we need people who will stand in the gap, who will pray. We have a group that meets every Thursday morning. We pray over these needs because God blesses intercession. And God wants us to, to be there for others, even if we don't have needs ourselves. But we do have needs. And, and as you go through your day, you may find yourself being offended by someone. Encountering someone that's very difficult, someone who's been rude to you. Well, it's a good time for you to also take that before the Lord, your own burdens. Remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? How to treat your enemies, love them, and guess what else? Pray for them. Pray for them. Lord, I pray for my boss. He or she's a really jerk right now, and I don't like working for him or her, but I pray. I pray that you'd work in their lives. I don't know what's going on in their life. I don't know their circumstances. I don't know what's causing them to act the way they are, but you do. Would you work in their life? Lord, that driver on the road today, I was ready to really, I was ready to ram, and I, and I pray that you'd work in their life. Um, God, I, I, you know, I pray for these difficult people. So cast your burdens. It's a great time in the afternoon to cast your cares upon the Lord. And then in the evening, Jesus also prayed. In these days, he went up to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. His day typically ended in prayer. He prayed without ceasing. You know, I find it very beautiful at times to lay on my bed, and the last thing after you know, kiss my wife goodnight and we're going to go to sleep. I'll, I'll roll over to my side and I'll say, Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the blessings. Thank you for the prayers I prayed early this morning that you answered. Thank you so much. Don't ever forget to say thank you to the Lord for what he's done. Thank, you, thank him for the surprise blessings. Thank him, you know, my body feels good tonight, Lord. My back pain has subsided, you know. I, my stomach feels good or whatever. God, I feel good today. Thank you for the blessing of another day. But then there are other times where it's not quite like that. You're, you're pretty restless. You can't sleep. There's a big meeting tomorrow. There's a big decision to make. There's something you have to deal with that you're afraid to deal with. Um, there's a doctor's appointment the next day. The night before we go on vacation, I always have a hard time sleeping. And maybe God is keeping you up at night, or maybe just because you're keeping yourself up at night, it's a call to pray. There are times that many of us find ourselves waking up in the middle of the night, and we wonder why. And God brings someone to mind, and we start praying for that person. And more often than not, we find that if we ask that person, hey, what were you doing at 
um, yesterday. You know, I woke up and I was feeling really sick and I was very concerned about this thing. And you know, God woke me to, up to pray for you. You know, God will arouse you to intercede for someone in a time of need. David wrote that when I, that he said, my soul is satisfied when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. That's the peaceful thing. But there are other times like Jeremiah where it's more like this. Arise, cry out in the night at the beginning of the night watches. Pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. Lift your hands to him for the lives of your children. Lift your hands to him. Why? For the lives of your children. Is there a parent or grandparent in this room that ought not do that? Aren't our kids and grandkids going through the most difficult um, culture we've ever had? How, how can we not stay up sometimes at night saying, Lord, I pray for my son. He's in high school. He's going through some challenges. My daughter, my granddaughter, my, my kids, Lord, I pray for them. Do not let them get swept away by the culture. I pray that they stand strong in the faith. I pray that they hold on to the things that we've taught them for so long. Lord, as they stray from your way, I pray, Lord, that, that they'd never forget where they came from and come back. As you say in Proverbs, lead a child in the way he should go, and, and in the end, he'll, he'll, he'll return. Lord, I pray for that for my kids. Lift up your hands to him for the lives of your children. Your job as a parent does not end when you become an empty nester. And maybe the biggest thing we can do for our kids when they leave the home is we shift to intercessory parenting. I can't be where they are. I can't influence them. And maybe they won't listen to me, but God, they could hear you. And I'm going to pray for them. And I'm going to intercede for them. Do any of you have kids going through something in their life that needs a parent or grandparent passionately praying for them. Anybody here like that? Man, our kids need us to be praying. And sometimes before you go to bed, pray. Pray in the morning, pray in the afternoon, pray in the evening, pray without ceasing. The whole point is make prayer frequent. You can enter into that prayer time at any time of the day. Don't just, don't just have one spot where that's the only time I pray. No, no, make a, a, a day-long conversation with the Lord. Pray frequent, and then the next one, pray fervently. Pray, make prayer fervent. That means that infuse it with energy and emotion, urgency, even a sense of desperation, imploring God to act, because God, if you don't act, it's not going to turn out well. We need you. We desperately need you. In the Old Testament, there arose this king. His name was Ahab, and Ahab um, is described like this. He did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of the kings before him. And those kings were pretty bad, but Ahab topped them all. He was just really, really a bad king. And it said he angered the Lord more than anyone had angered the Lord. And right in the midst of that, this prophet arises. Guy comes up. His name's Elijah. Elijah begins to pray. And he prays that God would stop the rains so there would be a drought in the land so that the king would realize um, that he needs to repent and submit to the God of heaven who's really the one in ultimate control. And as he prayed for God to stop the rain, it stopped. Now down the road, he'll pray that God brings the rain back and it comes. But James, the half-brother of Jesus, writes in the New Testament about the power of Elijah's prayer. And he says this, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, meaning he's just like you and me. And he prayed fervently, that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. What do we learn about Elijah's prayer? One, he's human. He doesn't have any special gift other than he's talking to the same God you and I talk to. He's bold. It's pretty bold to say, God, dry up the sky, okay? No rain for, 
for, for several years. That's pretty bold prayer. You know when that prayer is answered, right? When you say, God, bless this, mo- this food, when do you know that it got blessed? I don't know. I just assume it's blessed. Okay. You pray for something big like this, you know when it's answered. It's bold. It's specific. And he prayed fervently. Meaning it wasn't a one-shot thing where, Lord, I really would like you to stop the rain for a while. Maybe that'd get Ahab's attention. But if you don't want it, that's okay. No, no. He said, God, stop the rain. We got to get this guy to repent. I pray, Lord, you would, you would dry up the land. You would cause him to, to, to look to you. You would cause him to be humbled before you. God, do what only you can do. He was praying fervently for God to do something. Fervent prayer makes a difference. You go through scriptures, look at people who prayed fervently. I put some examples in your notes, and we're not going to read the whole stories, but I'm just going to summarize. If you want to read them, you can read them. But the Israelites at the edge of the Red Sea. God rescues them from Egypt. They come out. They're leaving. They get to the Red Sea like, oh, great. We're here. And I can hear the hoofbeats of the Egyptian army coming. We're going to die here. So what do they do? They begin to cry out to God. Now, they were never told what God was going to do. They, ne- they were never told how they're going to escape this situation. But the scripture says, and Nehemiah recounts the story and says, they cried out to the Lord. And guess what God did? Part of the Red Sea. Part of the Red Do you think their prayer was, God, thank you for the food, and, and I pray that you just help us out of this tough spot we're in. You know, I, think, I think you heard wailing. I think you heard desperation. I, I think you heard tearful prayers pleading with God God if you don't come through right now we're dead meat God you must act God for your own glory show yourself strong and faithful and I'll do that Hannah goes before the Lord and she's greatly distressed because she wants to have a baby and she promises the Lord if he allows her to have one she'll dedicate that child to the Lord and she's in such agony over this prayer that she's She's crying, and her, her lips are quivering. In fact, she doesn't want to say anything out loud to offend people, but she, her lips are quivering, and, and people look at her and say, she must be drunk because her lips are moving, but I don't hear any words. But she's so distraught in her spirit, and she's crying out to God, asking him for a baby. And God honored that prayer. Amen. And she gave birth to a little guy named Samuel. Elijah, during this um, famine that was going on, is told by the Lord you go see the widow at Zarephath. Now, Zarephath was in the Philistine region. It was not a Jewish woman. And he says, go and ask her if she would make the prophet of God a meal. So he knocks on her door, and she opens and says, hey, you're the lucky one. You get to make me dinner. She goes, I don't have any food. All I have is a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour, and it's just enough to make one little loaf of bread, and that's it. And that's all I have for my family, me and my son. And, he, and Elijah says, If you do what I ask you to do or what the Lord's asking you to do, I promise you, your oil and flour will never run out until the drought is over. And so she does that, makes him this little loaf of bread, and sure enough, for the next several years, she keeps dipping into that, and it never runs out. It's like starter kit. It just keeps going. You know, it keeps multiplying. It's, it's It's a miracle. It's really a miracle. But that's not the greatest miracle. That comes a little bit later when her son dies. When her son dies, she cries out to the prophet of God, come explain to me what your God just did to my son. And Elijah, of course, knows that God didn't kill him, but God can raise him. So here's what happens. Here's what Elijah did. Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, cried to the Lord, oh Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah 
and the life of the child came into him again, he was revived. Was his prayer passive? I don't think so. I think it was passionate. Cried out to the Lord, and God heard his what? His voice and answered. Paul, when he had a thorn um, in his side, he called it the thorn in his flesh. It says, three times I pleaded with the Lord. It's not a little nice in your head prayer. It's like, God, please take this thing away. This thing is so frustrating. It's hindering me from doing your work. Lord, can you take this away? Three times he pleads. Now, in his case, God says, no, but I'll do something else for you. I'll give you incredible grace to endure this. Then we have Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's about to be betrayed and sent to a cross. He prays so intensely, the Scripture says, that his sweat is like he's sweating blood. He's got a big thing happening in the morning. Not only for him, but for the world. And the, the Scripture, when you go to the book of Hebrews, I believe he's referring to this specific event in Jesus' life. In the book of Hebrews, the writer there says this, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Loud cries and tears. That's his prayer life. Because what was happening was so important. When was the last time you prayed like that? If ever. When was the last time you pleaded, cried out, and shed tears in your prayers to the Lord so that he would act. Jesus taught his disciples this parable of a widow who went to uh, see a judge, and he says, I'm going to tell you the story so that you know you should always pray and not give up. So here's the story in a nutshell. Lady goes to this judge because she's been treated unfairly, and she, she cries out for the judge to give her justice. And the judge says, you know, you're just a widow. You don't have any standing with me. No, I'm not going to do anything. And yet she continues to nag him and cry out to him and say, please, you've got to do something, sir. You've got to do something. You're all the hope I have. You need to give me justice in this situation. She keeps coming back to him, hammering him. And the guy says, will she shut up? Man, this girl just keeps talking. The only way I'm going to get her to stop talking is if I do what she's asking me to do. He goes, okay, I'll do it. Now, the point of the story, Jesus says, is this. If an unjust judge gives someone he doesn't even value an ear to do what she asks, how much more will your heavenly Father respond to the prayers of his children? Amen. How much more eager would God be to do what he's asking, uh, what we're asking him to do? And then he closes his, his um, story with this. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? If you know this is how your heavenly Father is toward you, he's so willing to answer prayers, will, will, will the Son of Man find you praying when he comes back? Now that you know this, will he find you praying when he comes back? And here's the two things that Jesus noted about their prayer life. He says, number one, they cry out to him day and night. That's frequent prayer. And they cry out to him. That's fervent prayer. I believe, this is probably true for almost everybody in this room and watching online, that we need to devote more time and we need to dial up the intensity of our prayers. Because God wants to do much more than we're allowing him to do through us. And so we need to pray more frequently. We need to pray more fervently. And it's going to start today.